Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm John McMahon, and my special guest today is Oliver J., who started his career as an associate in Morgan Stanley and then at New Enterprise Associates. After NEA, Oliver led sales at Scientific Conservation before moving to Dropbox, where he managed all product-led sales. After Dropbox, Oliver was the chief revenue officer of Asana for six years. Now, Oliver can be found working as an advisor and a leadership coach for companies like Airbyte, Conva, Clockwise, Figma, Grab, and Miro. But today we wanted to utilize the knowledge that Oliver gained at Dropbox and Asana, along with his advisory work to discuss PLG, product-led growth, both the positives and the potential traps of PLG. Hey, welcome, Oliver. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you. And I I think the audience is going to get a lot out of the discussion today. But let's start slow. Let's let's start by grounding the audience on a definition of PLG, product-led growth. What would you say sure. about this, Oliver? Yeah, it's, um, you know, it, first of all, I'd say it's one of the few acronyms we have in business that actually explains what the acronym is. <laughs> it really is that simple. I think product like growth is a methodology um, that's come of age, I say, in, in the last decade, especially in SaaS, where product is the focus and, the, and is a primary instrument for everything, right? And that includes acquiring users, getting them onboarded, getting them to use a product, retaining, getting, uh, driving upsells, cross-sells. That's using product as the primary conduit, which is very different than the 30 years of B2B software we've seen, which is there's a great product, but it's really in parallel, you have sales and marketing operation that is the primary conduit, at least to acquiring the users and um, ensuring you know, renewals and cross-sells and such. And so that's the change, right? Is going from sales and marketing led to acquire users to product led. And I think an easy example that I think a lot of users, uh, a lot of the audience might resonate with would be Dropbox, which I think is one of the pioneers of this model. Yes. If we all rewinded 10 years ago, we probably ended up using Dropbox before, without talking to any salespeople, probably just heard it through some friends or someone sent you a file, you downloaded it. Next thing you know, you're using Dropbox. That's product-led growth. 
right? Which is that initial stage of how you acquire users, really leveraging the product. Yeah. Now, when you talk about acquisition of users, there's also expansion through upsells and then also converting new products through cross-sells and then retaining those users. When I think of PLG today, certainly there's some companies that do everything that I just mentioned, but primarily it seems like most companies are using PLG mainly to gain or acquire users and then get try to expand them through upsells and not really much on cross-sells or retaining those users. Is that you think that's an accurate statement? I think I think PLG as a category is still early, early. Yes. and so that's why. So I, I agree with you. I think uh, that's where majority of the focus is. Everyone's, I mean, everyone right now is just trying to get growth to live up to their valuations, right? Um, but I think as you see more PLG companies mature, more companies will realize that retention cross sell. Our PLG is also a very powerful uh, approach to drive those motions as well. But I just think a lot of companies right now, just they're just trying to drive top line revenue growth, right? And so uh, getting new logos is the priority right now. Yeah. Okay. So then for the purposes of this discussion today, we're referring mainly to what we might call sales enabled PLG for, for B2B sales, not B2C sales. And if we further define it, like we just did, then it's PLG for new logo sales and PLG for upsells to existing customers, right? Let's ground the audience on that. Does that sound right? Yeah, I can say that. I, I maybe we can we double click PLG is the umbrella yeah. under which you have self-service pure self-service, no humans involved, right? Swipe a credit card, buy the product. I think more and more people use this term called product-led sales, which is a sales team that interacts with these kinds of traditionally otherwise self-service users. Um, and I, I think, I think you know, self-serve and product-led sales can be, uh, can be helpful because I think those are slightly different. Yeah. And you also have the open. One thing that um, I think might also be in there is the open source where you can just use the product for free and, you know, download it and use it for free, but you may not get the type of support that you need behind it either. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we're discussing a method for customers to experiment basically with a free product with the hopes of converting them to a paid product experience. Yeah. Yeah. Product led growth is actually, I mean, it's elegant in its simplicity, right? Because the PLG model is simple. Like there are many ways you mentioned one, which is the open source way. Right. Some other companies um, have a free trial where you actually get all the best features. You get the support during that trial. Yes. Um, And then some, some companies, do something in the middle where, you know, and I think the term most people use a freemium, which is you can use a free product. The free product actually has uh, a lot of the powerful features, but the usage is gated. And and this is where you see almost 
every AI company today, because of the processing costs, is choosing this route, which is right. you're, which you're you dating. Limited, yeah, limited storage or limited compute resources, right? Otherwise, it gets too costly. Exactly. Right. So going back to those freemium models, the ones I've seen is the ones where there's no time limit on how long you can use it, but there's limited features. Then there's other ones where there's a time limit, but you get all the features. And then, as you just stated, there's the reduced capacity where because of the cost on storage or compute in the cloud, they have to limit it because it gets pretty costly. And then there's other ones where they just um, give you really reduced or limited support for for the freemium model. Those yep. are the ones you've seen also. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would, I, would, I think that's the most um, that's that's the that's the that's the proven open source model, which in my mind is actually the predecessor to PLG today. Right? I, I think it's like that, that's there's a lot of similarities with how. The successful PLG companies, uh, open source companies scaled up and PLG, I think, is a iteration on top of that. Now, when you're advising companies and there's because I've been in this discussion where there's you're going to pick one of these two where there's no time limit, but it's limited features or there's a time limit for all features. How do you steer the customer towards which one is best for them? It's pretty situational. Uh, I think there's some principles here that that we can think about. the The first is we have to look at your product, and you have to understand what does it take for someone to really find value in your product. There are some products where people then users can attain that value really quickly with, without a lot of features and your features are really therefore reserved for the power users, right? Or when those users become power users. Yeah. In those situations that kind of like no time limit model works well, especially if it's a competitive environment, because you're not, if, if you're not that person, someone else will be given be the free version. Right. And so you might as well suck that oxygen out of the air. Right. However, there are some products where even to understand that initial value, you really need some of the more powerful features. In which case, you, I think you want to put your best foot forward and you want people to actually get into a trial first. All right. So the, I think those are some overarching thoughts um and then the, the, a shortcut i tell people is trial trials um are, is much easier funnel to manage what do you mean by that it's much it's it's very clean um and, and it's beautiful because every period you have a different cohort that converts and so you can run experiments from one cohort to another cohort and see what what what, what brings lift and such and um because Starting a trial is a little bit more friction up front for users. It's a natural qualifier as well. So if you're starting from zero to one, I think trial is an easier way to start, right? Unless you have some of the dynamics we talked about earlier. See, one, one twist that I had on that is that 
if I have a product that can show value very quickly, then I may want to put a time limit on it because if I could plug it in and it plays and within two days, any user is going to see all the benefits of it, or as you explain the value, then I might want to put a time limit on it with all features. But if I think that it's really going to be a long time to value um, and I want to get them to use it and maybe upgrade later to, you know, full feature capability, then I might put no time limit on it. Is it what, do you, what do you think about that? I think time to value is, is absolutely like it's, it's, we'll put it this way. If your time to value is not long, right. It is, it, sorry, it takes a bit longer Then I think you default to away from that, you know, no time limit option because the, the beauty of a, tr of a, of a time constraint there is you're creating urgency right for a customer to come in and invest the time it takes to learn how to use a product to hopefully get the value that you want them to get when you have no time limit that, that's a downside where people come in they heard about you they try it a lot of times people are hearing about you on the phone right and so they're checking you on the phone and if you're unless you're unless you're able to win them over right away you need some kind of mechanism to get them to actually pilot your stuff. Yes. And that's where time limits, I think, makes a big difference. Right. Otherwise, you don't know if they're really using it. Are they, are they just playing around with it or are they really using it, you know, to figure out if there is value to them? That's exactly. So when you think of products that are good fit for PLG versus products that might not be a good fit, and we might have just touched on this, but but how do you differentiate them? If you're advising somebody and you say, okay, well, these products over here are a good fit for PLG versus, you know, these products that may not be a good fit. And then based upon the models, the four different models that we just discussed, how do you? Yeah, I, I, I get this one a lot. I get this one a lot. I, I think that what we just discussed is probably the, the most important is like, what what is the time to aha moment? for a user or for your target user. And I, I, and Asana, I remember we, we had this, um, we had, we had, we had this phrase, we said, uh, you know, zero, zero, like zero to hero in two minutes, you know, so something like that, but it gives you an idea that we held ourselves, we the bar for ourselves is we got, we got two minutes to win someone over or at least to win a return visit. How'd right? you get to the two minutes? Talk to me about that. User research. Right. You, you can sit and see when people check out your app, right? We found like, hey, generally that's when people start drifting off. If they don't get it, they're not gonna, they cannot give up. And if you ask me, my intuition says it's even shorter. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so the theme here is now, of course, it depends on your product, right? Asana, Dropbox, these are these are apps where the expectations of the user coming in is that it is easy to use. So two minutes is a long time. Uh, if you're like a DevOps tool, if you're an infra tool, 
that's completely different game, right? And so it's all about the expectations. But the idea here is time to value relative to expectations has to be good. So I think that's the first thing. And relative the thing to think expectations, about, those expectations are really the ones that you believe the customer has when you've modeled the customers that you're going to speak to, right? You, 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 you believe that that's the expectations that they have. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and when you talk about this later on, I mean, one of the things about PLG that's interesting is you may think you are going after a specific type of user and use case. And then you launch your product into the wild and you might actually learn something new. Right. And so you might actually learn that you, you, you're, there's a different type of user. That's quite interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And their expectations would be different. I right? never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we can talk about that in a bit. <laughs> um, but in terms of like whether a company should pursue POG as a business model or not, besides time to value, the other thing I think about is just the, you know, who do you think is your ideal buying persona and profile, okay. right? There are some personas that are made for PLG and there are some that aren't. So what's, what's made for PLG? If you're selling a dev tool, mm-hmm. right? Like if you ask a hundred engineers, if you ask like, a hundred random people. Do you like being sold to? Maybe you'll find like five people who says yes. Okay. <laughs> if you ask a hundred engineers, do they like being sold to? You're going to get zero. You're going to get negative. People that like, right. you know, anger is going to come out. Right. Yes, I agree. And so if you're, if your primary audience are like developers, designers, I think PLG is, is great for that persona. Now, a CFO buy a PLG product? I don't think so. Will a head of HR decide an HRIS based on, you know, like a long trial, you know, like a, a, a easy to use self-service? Probably not. Right? Probably not. So I think it, you got to think about the, the buying persona. Um, and, uh, and you might, there might be some self-selection there as well. And the last thing I think about PLG and whether it's uh, a good model for a company or not is an assessment of like whether, where does that product and company rank relative to its competitors? And I say this because PLG is generally a model that where the winner dominates market share. Second place is a distant second place. Mm. We know that's already true in the sales-led world, but a product-led world where a lot of the people who even learn about the category comes through word of mouth, right? It's going to be, generally speaking, like a consumer product. The winner gets 80% market share. And is that because it goes viral so fast? Because of exactly, exactly. If it works and it works well, that's the beauty of the model. And so if you're not that number one, if you're not that number two, even if it isn't number two in a big market, it's okay. 
But if you're like number three, four, five, six, I say, you know what? It's not worth it. The wind is not going to be behind your sails. You'll be swimming uphill the whole time. Might as well tweak your product to be a bit more enterprise from day one, right? And play a different game. Yeah. One of the things you alluded to, if I had to break it down when you were talking about selling to developers versus a CFO or a CEO, is you're really talking about sell, PLG sells very well to end users, but maybe not as well to big buyers inside a company, especially inside of a larger enterprise. Do you think that's a distinction? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is where I think PLG companies are much harder to scale. I think PLG companies that we talked about, there are a lot of great reasons why you pick that model. If you can pull it off because the virality, right. Can drive great unit economics to help you grow. Word of mouth is free. Right. And so that is the no better way to acquire users. But as PLG companies scale, it is actually much more complicated because what I've noticed is ultimately most PLG companies do want to get into the enterprise. They do want to win over an enterprise, but they realize that a lot of the traction is with folks pretty generally other people who are doing the work, small teams. And they lack what we traditionally have in enterprise sales, which is your executive buyer, right? Procurement, all those, you know, security, right? All the, um, all the things you would check for in a, in a traditional enterprise deal. A PLG company now needs to go get it as well, but all their success has been on with, with the end users, right? And that's what makes PLG very difficult as you scale. Yeah, that's why you see, um, and I might want to come back to that because I want, there's a couple more basic things that I wanted to get the audience to understand. But so what you're saying is I could use a PLG model to go ahead and sell to a number of different end users, but a lot of companies that have done well with PLG to seed the account, let's say, with a bunch of end users, then back it up with sales-led growth where they have an enterprise sales team that can go in and understand a lot of the issues for the big buyers so that they can literally get an enterprise purchase order, you know, for the entire, for the entire enterprise. And so it's a combination of both PLG working really well and then giving trigger points based upon different behaviors that they see from the PLG users and personas as to whether or not the organization might be ready to do an enterprise deal, right? That's right. That's right. Maybe I, I give an analogy here to, to help explain this a bit more. Um, well, traditional software sales, let's say it's like making a cake, right? Initially, many software companies traditionally they get their early entry in the mid-market. So let's say you're like making like a strawberry shortcake, all right? You figure out the mid-market recipe. Okay, you're getting success. What do you do if you want to go up market or you want to go down market? You're just changing your proportions. 
all right, okay, I'm going to go after enterprise. Well, then triple every ingredient, mix it together, and you're going to get an enterprise strawberry shortcake, right? right? And that's why sales-led, to me, is easier to scale. It's harder to get going because you don't have that natural, organic virality that PLG has. But once you get going, it's much easier to scale. Building a PLG business to me, it's like building a multi-layer cake. Your first level is getting the end users. And this is what we talked about earlier, in the, right? Which is like, whether it's the free trials, your product is drop dead easy for someone to come use. They love the product. That's one motion, going after one persona. Then it's very likely you'll layer on another layer. And... This is where product-led sales comes in. What you mentioned about the customer telemetry based on the data you have about how the users are using their product. Now you can identify potential accounts that could be bigger, right? Where you can actually get a bigger deal. Maybe not wall-to-wall deal, but a bigger deal. And so now you start hiring some salespeople or customer success people to actually interact with people who normally are self-serving. So that's like a second layer. Then eventually, some of the large customers will invariably come in and say, wow, I got so many people using your product. I want to roll this out. Right. And for you to roll this out, I need you to build SAML, skim, user access controls, et cetera, security. You know, that list is long. And you got to go through procurement now. So now this is, we're starting to resemble more like a tradi- traditional sales motion, which is dramatically different from the first two layers. All right. And there's even a fourth layer that we can talk about later on, right? Which is like, all right, you got the security stuff. You're getting bigger teams now. How do you get your executive champion? All right. That's yet another layer. So, when you, when you think of it that way, building a PLG company over time, you're like, you have a strawberry shortcut, short, short break, short bread, bottom, you have like a chocolate middle, you have a tiramisu, the third layer, it just keeps going. And what makes PLG hard is as you scale, you're adding layers, but each layer also needs to continue growing because they feed on each other. Yes. Yeah. That's why PLG is hard to scale. You know, there aren't that many PLG companies at scale yet, but I think as PLG companies get bigger, we're going to see this. Yeah, and when you add the um, sales-led growth part, especially to go into the enterprise, it's a different way of thinking for a company that's been highly successful selling only you know through PLG, because now they start to say, okay, we're going to hire these enterprise salespeople. Wow. They're really expensive. And we have to now understand all the different issues that are in the enterprise that we didn't really understand previously. And now we have to add a whole bunch of new product capabilities, and that's going to be expensive. So are we we really ready to go there? Is this really the right decision? And maybe in your experience, you've seen some companies that might have waited too long or or even tried to go too early up market, and it it really might have cost them one way or another. So is, is there a certain tipping point if you if if I was a company and I was in that in that what I thought 
I was in that transition period. Are there certain things that you would say to me that would say, well, hold on, let me ask you these questions to see if you're really ready to, to make that move. Yeah. You know, if, if I, I, I'm going to just keep going on this cake analogy. It's, it's kind of sure. working for me. No, it's working right now. <laughs> I, I like it. I think, uh, I think every, so the difficulty of PLG is every subsequent layer on top takes, has a longer lead time to execute. Right. The top layer, if the top layer is you, you, you gotta, you gotta appeal and, and sell to an executive buyer that likely means a slightly different product, right? Obviously you need relationship kind of salespeople, very long with sales cycles, right? Even selling to security and with her procurement, that's a, a significantly longer baking period, right? To build your security features and all that. Then the second layer, which is product-led sales, which is like you're getting high velocity sales, right? On top of self-serve, that's a lot faster. So generally speaking, I say, the minute you're baking one layer, you need to start preparing the recipe for the next layer. So, okay. Okay. Uh, you're building us, let's say you're building your self-serve engine now, right? And it's going to take time for you to build that. You've got to build a really efficient payment system, right? Onboarding, all that. You should start hiring your first two inbound salespeople or support folks because it's going to take them six months to ramp. Totally. Yeah. Right. The minute you start building security features because you've got some big expansion opportunities that are driven by security, you need to start planning for that executive buyer. Yes. Right. Because that takes time. Now it probably takes a couple of years to execute that strategy. But to me, that's how I would think about it. And you probably, before you even offer an opinion there, you probably are measuring how successful they are in their current PLG methodology. So can you talk a little bit about some of the metrics that you might want to look at before you say whether or not these people are ready to even consider adding another layer to the cake? I, it's to me, there's, there's like four big, four big model no, variables that drive the model. Right. One is your top of funnel growth for freemium companies. It's number of active users for that kind of, uh, uh, time-based companies is, you know, it's usually, uh, trial starts. Right. Then the second thing is, uh, the conversion rate free to paid conversion. What does that look like? Um, I think you see great companies, right? If it's, if it's a, if you have free user base, if you can convert something close to 10%, that's like best in class, right? Already. So you want to check, track that conversion rate. The third is the deal size per account. Right. That should be growing every year because you're launching more features, technically delivering more value. You want to see that. So that's basically um, deal size, like your ARPU, like average revenue exactly. per user. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and then the, the the last and just as important metric is net retention. Yes. So you get a hundred dollars of revenue a certain cohort. Twelve months later, right? What is that same cohort of users spending? Best in class. You know, I think you see companies above 130%. Yeah. 
Meaning you got people are spending a hundred dollars by the end of the year, they're spending the same group of used customers are now spending 130. And of course, with uh best in class enterprise, the enterprise tier, you, you see metrics, net retention well north of 150%. Let me can I go back up one level? You know, when you yeah. You break down the key elements of a PLG system. Like, what do you, what are you looking for as the major elements of that system? This may seem re- pretty rudimentary to you, but I want to, you know, have our audience participate in what you see as those major components. Well, because it's product led, the most obvious one would be like your product needs to solve at least one thing dramatically better than the status quo better could be cheaper could be faster uh it could be uh more seamless more collaborative (laughs) usually a combination of all of those it has to be significantly better right um second is like you need to build a self-serve motion whether you're using the product-led growth tactics to actually drive conversions or just to drive leads right that that self-serve meaning someone who how does someone hear about you how do they become interested and consider how do they onboard through your product if it's free or on a trial that's got to be super super efficient right um the third one I, I think is really important is you, you should have a really strong data layer that tracks everything because PLG companies scale. Eventually you will run out of that word of mouth, that word of mouth dynamic. Eventually you saturate, right? And this is where you launch new products and get more users. But hypothetically, if you have one product, generally speaking, there's early adopters, and your, 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 your growth rate will plateau. And so PLG companies really rely on growing that base of initial users. Yes. And the best way to do that is you have great analytics and telemetry over how people are using your product. Right. So you can know when to prod the right people, the right accounts at the right time. And, um, but that requires probably a level of sophistication on the data infrastructure side that is uh, compared to companies that aren't product led. They probably don't need as advanced of a telemetry uh, infrastructure in the beginning, but PLG companies need it from the start. And when you're doing that and you're getting very sophisticated on the user analytics, are you not, you're not only trying to figure out what the customer is doing, but are you starting to derive certain behavior attributes of that user? Like what motivates them? Are they bringing other users onto the platform themselves? Could they be potential champions? Um, who are they connected to? Those types of things. Are you, are you dri- deriving any, you know, behavioral characteristics? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think I say all of the above, the more data, the more you'll be, you'll, you can do with it. And with, with this AI craze, who knows what <laughs> tools are coming out? Like 
I was going to ask probably that gonna be some, we'll, we'll leave that one alone, right? Amazing PL, PLG, upsell analytics, dashboard, and you know, whatnot. But uh, yeah, I, I think you're, you are trying to infer a lot. Uh, I was at the, the, at the basic level though, you're just trying to make sure people are, know how to use your product. Right. And, and every product is different in terms of like what you're looking at in terms of what's a signal, right? That people are actually using your product correctly. So for example, sometimes I see PLG companies and all they track is logins, MAUs, right? To me, that's like the most deceiving metric of all because, okay, someone logged in and then, and then they moved to a new window, right? Right. So for Asana, as an example, right? The, the, why do people use Asana? They're trying to get a job done. That job is to complete a project. So I want to, in a, in a perfect world, hypothetically, what you want to track is, Hey, are people actually completing projects? Cause that's really where your ROI is tied to, uh, for, for, for Dropbox, for people is really around sending big files, right? For that collaboration use case. So just someone because someone logged in, not enough. Just because someone logged in, uploaded some files, not enough. Right. I want to see people come in, log in, invite someone, send them the file, right? Share, the other person accepts. Then you know, okay, there's a closed loop here. Now, when you have, I'm going to bounce down a layer to where we were before. When you now have a dual PLG and SLG selling model, is it difficult? I don't think it's difficult to really measure things that were like PLG sourced, but SLG sold um, where the customer utilized the free trial, but sales then converted them to a paid customer. How, my question there is, does it become frustrating for, let's say the PLG advocates that it was PLG sourced and then you know, the salespeople took the lead essentially and then sold it when they really feel like, well, if you would have just let the system run, we could have saved a lot of money and it, it, it would have been sold without sales, without the costly effect of salespeople. Have you seen any uh, of that? This is like, you know, like you, you and I have been in traditional B2B software sales for yeah. years and there's an age old sales and marketing, like, Hey, I don't, I, where are my leads? Oh, I got your leads. Oh, you're a quality. These are qu not quality leads. You know, that tension. Sure. All right. Uh, the, you know, the, the equivalent, all right. In the PLG world is, is exactly what you talked about. The tension between pure self-serve team, right. And the product led sales team. Because it is, it's a, it's a continuous funnel. And I think a very common mistake PLG companies make is to treat them as if they're two separate funnels. Okay. Right. The reality is you have one funnel. We're not, we're not going to talk about outbound yet. Right. We're just talking about product led sales. Yes. You got one, you got one funnel, which is hey, people are coming to your, hear about your product. They're coming to your website. Now they're using it in some way. 
there's a subset of those where it makes sense for, I mean, let's not even use sales, for humans to get involved, right? But you're still on the same funnel. It's just that, hey, there's a path for a subset of this traffic that's going to either convert better, upsell faster, retain better, and they go get a human experience. And you're just siphoning off that traffic, right? For sales. And so when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, interesting, <laughs> right? Uh, because traditionally, it's two funnels. It's like, all right, then you got the marketing funnel, MQLs, and you hop it over, and then it's SQLs. It's like a completely different funnel. Yes. In this case, it's quite different. And in fact, I think the best PLG companies, they encourage the self-serve team to drive things to the sales team. Right? Imagine you're just doing an A-B test. Normally you do an A-B test. Well, now I would say you do an ABC test where the third variant is of the experiment is running through humans. See what the, what the conversion rate is. If the conversion rate is significantly materially higher, yes. if it routes through humans, then route through humans. Same thing with the sales team. Product like sales is a tedious sales job because you're just getting a lot of volume. I think best-in-class PLG companies, what they do is the sales team is always trying to automate. All right. Okay. These are the kind of questions I keep answering. I'm going to work my growth team driving self-service so that maybe we can answer more of these questions through FAQs right on the website. So they don't even come to me come to because I want to work on the bigger deals. Right? Yes. I think you really want to see it as a cohesive unit. You know, another day we can talk about tactics to do that, but I, I really think you can. And, and I think it's a big mistake when companies see self-serve as some marketing funnel that eventually feeds sales because then you just, it, you just cannibalizing each other instead of augmenting. Right. Especially in a case like, let's say I'm a sales rep and I only have Morgan Stanley and I'm trying to seed all of Morgan Stanley. So some of it got seeded through PLG. Some of it got seeded through my efforts as a salesperson. And then all of a sudden I see this PLG lead pop in to another part of Morgan Stanley that I've been trying to get into for a long time. You know, I really would like to get over there, you know, and expand it by, you know, taking that lead and trying to sell it myself. That seems to make a lot of sense. Whereas if it's a totally brand new account, that might be a different type of experience in whether or not and when you hand it off to the salespeople, right? So there's different decision points, I guess, not only in time, but also in the type of account and whether or not you're installed in that account, you know, at the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a there's actually a scenario in the middle, actually, okay. where very often actually. In the BLG world, you'll find that at Morgan Stanley, you have 15% of the employees using your product, right? You, you already are probably on some kind of paid plan. You pass the security test. 
That's a healthy land. Someone Goldman Sachs, you have like 3% of the employees. For whatever reason, your product did not organically grow at Goldman Sachs. My belief, these two accounts require two very different motions. The Morgan Stanley account, I would do everything I can to nurture it. And like what you talked about, like the PLG feeding sales, like you got to upgrade systems, which we talked about earlier, like your systems needs to be really good. So that that Morgan Stanley account manager knows when, all right, private wealth management at Morgan is like starting to use us. I'm going to go take that relationship and build on top of it. I don't want that rep spending any time on Goldman Sachs yet. Right. Because it is, it is basically as, as cold as, you know, as a brand new account, even though there's 5% of employees using it. Yes. So I, there's a slight nuance there, but I want to, I want to share that with your, the audience because a very common mistake I see in how PLG companies on the sales side are managed is they just go, okay, enterprise, I got, oh my God, they use a traditional approach. They carve out the enterprise names with the enterprise team, mid-market names with the mid-market team. And invariably what happens is you'll see that the, the reps spend all their time on the existing customers, on the Morgan Stanley's. Because there's still so much potential there. Yes. Uh, it's, a, it's a territory in and of itself. Yes. Exactly. But then who's going to work Goldman then? Right. And, uh, and so I think it's important to, and I think there are many ways to think about how you set up your team so that different teams are running different motions. Right. Um, but that's, that's for another day, John. No, but when you think about ideal customer profile, which just came to mind for me is you might start to factor that into your ideal customer profile every year because your ideal customer profile can change year to year. So maybe on one year, my ideal customer profile still stays Morgan Stanley still in there. And my ideal customer profile may not include Goldman Sachs for my sales led team, but my product led team, it's the opposite. You know, I may want to have my product led growth team go after, you know, Goldman Sachs yes. to, to your point. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I mean, the thing about the cakes, right? Like, yeah. The team that you built to execute that third layer, go after Morgan, right. And third and fourth layer, but like the first Goldman goes to like the teams that are working on the first two layers. Yeah. Now, Oliver, I understand like you're constantly asked if you and this is along the same lines. If you still believe in the merits of PLG over SLG, you know, what are your, what are your feelings on that? Well, the caveat is you got the right, if you have the right persona and you're the right product and you're the market leader so that you can execute PLG and be a winner. I, I think it's still the best model, right. To get going. Because your your unit economics are going to be so much better. You get so much more data and customer insights. Right. I think it's still a great way. I think the only thing I want the next generation of PLG companies to think about is you got to prepare for a lot of complexity. 
it's not just about doing the same thing, but bigger and more. You're going to have to add motions, add product categories, right? You have to do a lot of different things as you scale, if you want to maintain high growth. So you're saying to continue to break down PLG into different, more granular elements and not just look at it as like, well, we're just doing PLG and this is the way it's done, right? You, you, you got to get smarter and more sophisticated about breaking it down into granular components and then doing, as you talked about before, a lot more user analytics. Yeah. And you just have to know that if you like a lot of PLG founders, I think start PLG because start with PLG because it is easier, right? You don't have to hire and build a big sales and marketing operation, but they don't plan for success. And if you are a PLG founder, and you plan for success, what it means is as you scale, you need to handle a lot more complexity and you better be ready for it. Otherwise you will fall into what, what I call the PLG trap, right? Which we can talk about later. Uh, but I think that that's what happens is PLG companies, they're very successful in the beginning and then they just plateau. Yeah. Like something that you wrote about um, that I read is, that the initial unit economic benefits of a PLG model erode really quickly when PLG companies start to scale and try to move up market into the enterprise. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and and it's it's quite interesting. You know, uh, when you Omas um, wrote this is analysis earlier this year when he looked at public companies that were predominantly PLG. And he found that sales and marketing as a percentage of revenue was actually higher than their counterparts that were sales led. They're also public. And it's just, it's, it's pretty jarring for me because PLG, the, the whole merit of PLG is, Hey, is viral. Like, you know, you can be cash flow positive very early. So what happened? Yeah, what what did happen? And I think what happened is um, going back to that cake analogy, the first two layers were awesome, right? You're building that self-serve business. You're layering sales, expansion sales. That's awesome. And then eventually what happens, so it eventually happens is you start your big customers asked you to build the security stuff and security features. There are so many of them. And so you just focus so much on just building those. And indeed, as you build that, right. User provisioning, accessibility, all the stuff that CIOs and you know, head of securities want your, your best organic customers, they expand in a really big way. And so this is what happens and then wow and this whole time the unit economics are great but then this is what happens and this is what i call the plg trap you run out of accounts where you can run that play right you run out of accounts where you can go to the security officer you know chief security officer and say hey uh a lot of people are using the product i've you're essentially holding people hostage you're saying 
I got this great product. Everybody in your company loves using it, but I'm a security risk. So come on, buy the enterprise version, which is three times more expensive. And that resonates if you have a significant number of users. Most companies don't have the same benefit that Dropbox and Slack had, where they had so many customers with such viral usage of the product that they were able to like run that play all the way through IPO and acquisition. Yeah. Most companies don't. And so what happens is you basically monetize through expansion all your early healthy customers. And then you're like, what do I, oh, what do we do? So then what many PLG companies do is they go hire the outbound sales team. They hire outbound sales and marketing. They, 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 they take the sales led playbook, which as we know is generally more expensive. So unit economics therefore are not as attractive, but more importantly, it's highly likely that there actually isn't product market fit for an outbound sales motion. All right. Like a PLG company, a lot of times your first land or your seed, right? You see the company with like a, it's like a five grand, sometimes even one grand. Right. Right. That's your initial like ACB. Maybe you grow the 10K, maybe you grow the 50K. But if you were to go outbound, you can't land with a one, one K five K ACB. I think 10 K depending on where you're located, probably too small. Like it's gotta be 50 K. Yeah. And so when companies are in the PLG trap, what happens is they run out of accounts to upsell security stuff. And now they have an outbound sales team that's grinding it out, but the product market fit is not there. So then they might be closing deals, but they're so small, they're inconsequential. And that's why I think the economics of what you see for more mature PLG companies are the incremental in economics have been pretty poor. So isn't that why a lot of the best companies now utilize a combination of PLG and SLG? For like when I think about like a data dog, they started out as PLG, product went viral. Then they had it. So they had inside sales. And now, you know, they have a very large SLG team. I mean, yeah. aren't you basically saying that at some point, unless your product is a Slack or a Atlassian, that you, chances are or there's a high probability that you're going to end up with an SLG team and you're going to have to understand when that's going to happen and how you're going to transition to that? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I, I think... What I'm saying is you will likely have to layer on the SLG motions on top of your product-led motions. And I think the nuance here is I think companies also need to not just look at it on the go-to-market side, but really ask yourself, do you, on the product side, do you also have product market fit? for a true SLG motion. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. So like Datadog and Atlassian are great examples. Datadog is a great one. 
And for them, they do. That initial DevOps team tries it out. They like, okay, they like the product in their sandbox. And the next step is they roll it out, right? Their, their natural champion is the VP engineering or CTO. So they have product market fit on a large scale. A lot of companies don't. I mean, right now there's like 10, there's probably like 50 whiteboarding companies out there. Great product market fit with a small team. Yeah. Is that a C-level buy? Does it really have product market fit on a large scale? Probably not. Right. So I think if you're going to build, if you know that you need to build an SLG, go to market motion in the future, it's important to make sure that you you also have a product that has product market fit, fit at for that, SLG. At that, at that level, right. And it, well, some of this also goes back to the fact that you talked originally about how PLG methods primarily target users. So now if you're data dog, you have a whole bunch of people underneath that VP that has a whole bunch of users using data dog, but no one's calling on that buyer that can buy on behalf of the total of the enterprise. And that's why you have, you know, sales like growth teams to be able to do that. So you get the combination yeah. and sell into users and sell into the buyers, right? That's right. I mean, that's simplifying it, but that's basically what it comes down to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like the, the nuance is like PLG companies adding SLG is really hard. It was really hard because I think for many companies, you're, you're, you, you probably need to think about adding a new product, right? It's probably like whatever appeals to the end users, unless it's something like Datadog, it, you, need, you need some other product that actually appeals at us on the C level. Yes. So you can, so you can have that sale. And for many companies, that's, that's a hard decision to make because you probably, are only 50% through hitting the vision of your original, of your original product vision for the end users. And now you're telling me, well, first you're telling me I got to now take a third of my engineers to build like manage access controls. Oh, now you're telling me I also need to just figure out a way to like build a, you know, adjacent product or a verticalized version, right? That can appeal on a C level basis. I'm never going to, you know, like achieve my product vision. And I think that that holds companies back a little bit. And also really, I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about it, like PLG, you're selling features and functions that quickly excite users and they can, they can make it actionable with those features and functions very quickly to your earlier point to show value. But when I'm going to, going to sell to buyers at really high levels, they're not really caring about the features and functions. All they're caring about is really high level issues like, how's it going to affect my revenue? How's it going to affect my profitability? What about my risk? Those very high level things that they're measured on because they're an end user is measured on different job measures than 
executive buyers. And those executive buyers, you have to appeal to, you know, how is that going to affect their job measures so that they want to buy? And the closer you get to the top, it's all about revenue, profitability, and risk. That's, uh, I want more, which is employee, right? Employee retention, engagement. I'm really glad you brought that up because I think this is, and this is a mistake that PLJ companies make as they go up market is they know that they know that as the higher up you go, what matters is revenue costs, people risk. And they also know that their product actually eventually does drive one of these things. Hey, if everybody in this company used our whiteboarding product, you will have fewer people you need to, you know, I, I was going to say something cheeky, like you need, you don't have to buy as any whiteboards, but you know, right. <laughs> but but the, 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 the pitch will be people you collaborating more productive. Faster. You're making them more productive. They're getting some exactly. products out the door. They're collaborating faster. Right. Therefore launching products faster. Therefore, get this wall to wall and you're going to get the productivity, which is going to get you more revenue. Right. That okay, pitch. Those are two separate things, right? So the person down below is measured on if they run in the department on productivity, how more, much more productive can I run this group to get the product out the door quicker? That's how they're measured now. And I call it like operational value. Now, when you go up higher, they're saying, okay, great, but what's the business and what's the business impact? Now that translates to, well, you got the product out the door quicker. So you're going to probably get faster time to market. You might get bigger market share, increased revenues, and you did it at less cost. Now you're playing at that level. You're playing again to that revenue and profitability and risk play. So some of it is how you articulate it at one level versus how you articulate it at the highest levels. And that's why PLG in and of itself probably isn't going to make that transition of selling operational value of features and functions all the way up to, you know, revenue and profitability. I, I think the, uh, that's a really good point, Joanne, because like uh, here, here's how a CEO thinks using this example. I need to, I need to grow revenue faster and I need to lower costs. Option A, I roll out this collaboration whiteboarding thing to everybody because in doing so they work faster, they launch faster. I can, uh, you know, reduce the number of people event. I, I mean, that's five steps there. Right. And, and, and forget the most important step, which is like, I got, I got to get everyone to actually use this product. Yes. Okay. But if a C and a C level, you don't think like that, right? You think you don't want that many, such so many dependencies. You just want to go, okay. See, well, what, what I think salespeople in PLG companies sometimes don't understand is like for a CEO, there are many, many different ways to drive more revenue. And if you're going trying to sell me, if that's the value, which is like, you got to link up all these and what are my other alternatives to drive more revenue? I can go acquire a new product line. I can enter a new market. I can fire my VP of sales and hire a better one. I can change my marketing messaging. 
Like these are the broad levers that a C-level thinks about, right? So even though your product may actually ultimately drive one of these top level things, and even if you can articulate it, the reality is the CEO is not looking at your product and benchmarking and, and comparing it to another whiteboarding company. They're just saying, I, I need to grow revenue. And I have so many big levers. Is this a big lever as well? Yes. Right. And that, that it against all the, all the different alternatives that they have, not just whiteboarding, which is the way in which the whiteboarding company thinks, but that's not how, to your point, how a CEO thinks. They think I have these 10 different levers, which one is going to give me the biggest impact for the least amount of cost in the shortest period of time. That's it. Yeah. And it, has, it could have nothing to do with software. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, when you, you talked about this PLG trap, are there any, uh, you know, as companies expand up market, um, you know, more pro as they try to expand up market more profitably and sustain high growth, is, are there any other things that you tell them to be on the outlook for? Yeah. Um, the, the first thing I say is that I mentioned this earlier, which is as you go up, as you build the next layer of cake, you have to plan way early. Right. And so if you want to go out market, know that like the minute you, you're working on PL uh, product led sales, you need to start thinking about the security sale and the motion, both on the product side and on the go to market side. The minute you're working on that security sale, you also need to start thinking about the executive buy, both on the product and on the go-to-market side. Um, that 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 to me is, is critical, all right. Unless you want to stay you know, in the trap where you're growing like ten percent. Um, another another piece of advice I give often is to be wary of outbound. Right. And we talked about this earlier as well around the ACV outbound for a PLG company outbound is rarely the remedy to growth. It is very likely that the minute you hire, you scale out that outbound team, your unit economics drop efficiency drops because the reality is you don't have product market business model fit. Right with where, what your product has. So only go outbound when you're actually kind of getting to like that fourth tier of the cake where you're actually selling top down and you, and you feel confident, you know, the product that can do that. Pretty good stuff, Oliver. Is there anything else you think you'd want to add to the discussion right now? I think we've covered, <laughs> covered a lot. You've given you covered a lot of it. Huh? Didn't we? Yeah, we did, dude. We did. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. we did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I might have to have you back on a second time to go a little bit deeper on some of these issues. Oh, yeah. You can go so deep on these stuff, right? I'm sure. <laughs> so, Oliver, That's thank fun. you so much for, for taking your precious time to educate our audience on PLG some of the positives, some of the negatives, and as you even defined some, you know, the PLG trap. So thank you so much. 
No, it was fun. Thanks a lot, John. Yeah. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. Thank you.